1: to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of our podcast today is Sindra Haaland, founder and CEO of SalesScreen. When we first installed the TV screens in like,
0: our first client... I remember one guy there, he took up the mobile phone application, went to the middle of of the sales floor, kind of demanded the attention of everyone, and then he hit sale, and all the TV screens lit up with Eye of the Tiger playing, you know, everyone just (laughs) going crazy, and like the energy was so good. And we were like, "Oh, okay, this is like, we found something here, you know? And look and behold, like a week later, this executive from a large insurance chain in Europe called because she had visited this particular call center and seen the energy for herself and you know like, i'm not sure what this product is called or if you're the,
1: the right one but we want to buy it. we want this for our sales teams as well this is Sindre. he was born and raised in norway but today he lives in brooklyn new york he believes that the success of every company is the result of their combined talent but even the leading products and services fall short if the people behind them can't perform at their very best. And this sparked the big idea behind Salescreen, a tool that turns the process of selling into a team effort, combining individual motivational instruments with cultural aspects and a winning mentality. In short, SalesScreen transforms the challenging work of sales into a professional, motivating and exciting game a game where all your employees will have fun whilst competing against each other for the top position. And this inspired me and hence I invited Cinder to my podcast. We explore his journey as a tech entrepreneur, what he did wrong that caused him to waste a full year, what it takes to break new ground in a highly competitive space like sales automation. We discuss why humanizing software rather than automating alone is key to delivering remarkable impact. And lastly, cindra shares his experiences about the importance of embracing emotion in a way to stand out in the market by listening to this podcast you will learn four things firstly why making people love what they do rather than just like it can mean the difference between success and failure that's a massive innovation opportunity secondly the journey to create a product that has a wow effect that's too compelling to ignore thirdly how to break new ground and defend your price tag when you're selling something that people aren't actually looking for. And fourthly, by investing in amazing people who have relevant experience and have done it before, is the best thing you can do as an entrepreneur. Hi, Sindri. Thanks for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast.
0: Appreciate being here, Tom.
1: So yeah, well, the appreciation is on my side as well, because I always like speaking to inspiring tech entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs on the mission, as I used to refer, oh, I used to, refer to that. And I think I found one again in you and the company that you run, SalesScreen. We'll go into details about that later, but I promise it's going to be a high-energy conversation. First, a little bit about you. One of the questions I typically ask at the beginning of the podcast is, what characterizes you as an entrepreneur? I mean, if you were to use two or three words, What words come up?
0: The word that comes up to mind right now is actually a bit controversial one, but I'm a geek at heart. So I come up from the technology side. I used to be a developer. It's been a while since I've done that, but still have that as a part of my core DNA. Besides that, of course, I'm a dedicated soul. And I think entrepreneurs on a mission to succeed needs to have that level of grind and dedication. And lastly, you know, passionate i'm truly passionate about what i do and what we're building together here at salescreen so it's definitely something I, I think about 24/7 great
1: yeah i mean i just came out of a call with a number of the, the people from my tribe and that word passionate i think it came out four or five times so it just makes the difference and the moment you find that passion and that and created energy in your company everything starts to go so much easier even in times where it's where it's hard so yeah, so I saw that you you, you founded the company Salescreen in 2011. So you've been around for ten years. What was the big idea behind it?
0: Yeah, it's ten years. Wow! I actually started this company out of school when I was at uh, NTNU. It's it's an engineering school in, in in Norway, and I knew I wanted to start a sauce. And in 2011, that wasn't too normal, but was yeah. kind of emerging. So didn't quite catch what I wanted to build at that point. So it kind of started out with you know some consultancy work just to get money in, typical bootstrap journey, until releasing my first sauce, which was based on a cool new technology called push notification. So that was quite new at the time. And while I did all the mistakes you could imagine as a founder, I just based it on a cool technology instead of actually a market need and it ended up basically wasting a year. This platform was released. Nobody really needed my technology to replace like the text message, but fortunately enough, you know, we had one client like a sales advertisement company, and they sent tens of thousands of text messages every month, and they did so to motivate and kind of recognize their sales reps when they closed the deal. To spark some of that enthusiasm across the not only you know the, the office space but those work in the field as well and, and that concept was really what became sales Screen in the end.
1: nice okay that's an interesting one because so it's almost like yeah the, the motivation of factor but also the competitiveness between them like what she can do. I can do as well. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, I think they what they they were trying to achieve was to kind of build a heartbeat in the organization. Yeah. And you know that feeling, that sales atmosphere from a like a, a typical boiler room, the ones that you see in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and like Wall Street, the Wolf of Wall Street, all these like massive energy. But you know, how can you bridge that over to people working in the field? It's almost impossible, right? And that's what they were trying to do with these messages, saying to everyone in the organization, "Hey, people are selling; they're they're nailing it. You can do so too." And uh, was kind of like a constant reminder, I guess. And so, so yeah, I can't take credit of of being a brilliant, you know, visionary entrepreneur. This was a very calculated move. I saw an opportunity, and um, there was a need in the market. They were willing to pay for it, and we had our first like true pilot customer, and we could build a product. Uh, based on a market need, instead of like a technology or, or something that I, I thought was really smart.
1: Yeah. Well, but obviously, 10 years have passed. So that, <laughs> that initial spark, which I think is interesting, of course, evolved into something bigger. And if I look at, for example, at your website, I mean, I give you credits for going bold on a certain number of things. One of the menus says the wow effect, which mm. is always music to my ears. And people are listening to this podcast, go check it out. (laughs) But what has it evolved in since? What is the wow effect of the product today?
0: Yeah, thanks for that. So we are on a mission to make sales work fun and rewarding. So it's kind of evolved into becoming a human acceleration platform. That's a fancy phrase. But what we mean by that is that if you can push the right buttons from a human perspective, you can get them to perform better at their work. You can get them to do more of the core sales activity that's necessary to get those deals in the end. And it's actually accelerating the sales for revenue teams. But the wow effect is like, what is it really that we can deliver? Like this software, which is built to capture the energy of people and like, you know, create that, Heartbeat of the sales floor in a digital space. How what is the impact of this? What's the value? Right. And that's the to us, that's the wow effect. Because when we made like a big survey of more than a hundred of different accounts using our, our platform, we saw that they had an average increase of 30% in their first wow. six months. And then that's like any sales activity that they started tracking in Salescreen. We kind of looked at the CRM data in the past. Compare that with their first six months and, and then track the changes. And like when we did this over, as I said, hundreds of different accounts, they all had a significant increase. And that's so wow. Like, how can you ignore something like this? So, so for us, you know, the numbers don't lie. We love to be like a counterbalance to to this whole, you know, everything is now digitization, automation, machine learning, artificial intelligence. It's so important that we don't forget that sales is still being done by humans to humans and that a motivated, engaged person is going to outperform a disengaged person any day of the week.
1: True. It's so true. I just had a conversation on that with one of the CEOs of my tribe who said exactly that. The person, I mean, when they see the light and you get that energy and confidence, it speaks volumes. And someone that's just doing that to get the number, to hit the number, and there's pressure to, uh, with someone, knowing that someone is going to scream if you don't make the number or you get, you get your bonus, is a co- completely different dynamic. And if you can change it with software, that's fascinating. So usually, well, I mean, normally the, qu- the question is like, what's the opportunity we get is right if the world starts to use your technology, but it's clearly like big, big upside in potential just by motivating a team in a different way. Fascinating. So... What I'm always interested in, in terms of yeah, the development process and the choices you make as a company to yeah, where you put your bets, and clearly you put your bets in a different bucket than the normal people that are in the sales automation space. Of course, this is a, this is a crazy space, crazy, crazy, noisy. Mm-hmm. I see on your website coaching. I see gamification. I just heard you say fun. What have been the things that you decided not to do or increasingly to do in that journey? That's an excellent question. And, you know, I, I think that's
0: something that every founder and CEO will have to take a stance on multiple times throughout their journey. And so have I. Since we started out of, of the gate with this concept of trying to motivate people working in sales, that's like, that was the beginning, if you remember that call center that I just mentioned. So that was always the foundation. But at the same time, this gamification trend was emerging, so it was it was natural to kind of leverage gamification as a set of features in our platform, but if you really want to you know hit the emotional buttons of a person working in your revenue team, you need more than you know stickers or badges and achievements and, and leaderboards. You actually need to you know recognize their milestones happening every day every week. You need to fire their competitive spirit, benchmark them against others, make competitions happen. You need to celebrate them. Maybe do it with some flair, some fun, some you know YouTube background going off on TVs, mobile web. Be a bit crazy, you know. You need to have that energy in the digital space. And for us, it's more than just gamification. But since we were so good at gamification, we've had so many requests, so many you know options to work with clients in other industries or like can't you gamify healthcare or can't you do, you know, can't your software also work on people doing the hard work of like going through case loads in an insurance company? Sure, we can. We can definitely work with all of these use cases, but you need to focus. And for us, we wanted back to that route. We wanted to go to the sales team. We wanted to go where the energy was and where we felt we could bring the most clear ROI from day one. So it's a matter of focusing that's one thing but also like where is the data coming from like so many clients have asked us to, to build out features that kind of can be similar to a CRM we don't want that we want to be layered on top of it we want you to use your core systems and then we hook into them and we take your pipeline movements your meetings booked your calls made whatever that sales work looks like in your company and we funnel that over to our platform. So we, we want to be good friends with CRMs. We don't want to compete with them, you know? Finding your place.
1: Wise words speaks to the, a couple of the, the theories and the concepts in, that I write about in my book as well. Glad you make the point about focus and the fact that you can address other needs. You don't need to <laughs> because it will just, yeah, it, it will take away yeah, the core of it. And that's that's required in order to make, well, to create that wow effect that you're talking about. I think that's a very good measure. Is it is what we deliver in creating that wow effect? And it, I mean, to kind of bring it back to the philosophy that I always talk about, it's like, it's what people talk about at the end. You know, it's creating mm-hmm. this remarkable effect. So good points there. So what did you then experience when you started selling this? What were the key lessons in the, in the whole selling process? I think...
0: I want to start by answering that question with a story from when we first kind of had our first customer come to life. So one component of our platform is the TV screens. We have this concept of like sales around where we always, we are around you with notification either if you're in the field on your phone, if you're working from home on your desktop or you're in the office, we have these TV screens. So you you get notified of, of interesting thing that happens at any time, but. Yeah, You know, when we first installed the TV screens in like our first client, I remember one guy there, he took up the mobile phone application, went to the middle of of the sales floor, kind of demanded the attention of everyone. And then he hit sale. And all the TV screens lit up with Eye of the Tiger playing, you know, everyone just (laughs) going crazy and like the energy was so good. And we were like, "Oh, okay, this is like, we found something here, you know? And look and behold, like a week later, this executive from a large insurance chain in Europe called because she had visited this particular call center and seen the energy for herself. And, you know, I'm not sure what this product is called or if you're the the right one, but we want to buy. We want this for our sales teams as well. And that jungle effect had really kind of accelerated us, at least in the early beginnings, we were a bootstrap company, and, and this was great. We didn't even had to do you know marketing, but I think that was tremendously helpful. Challenging part of selling it, of course, is that you're trying to break new ground. You know, you need to have this level of education. What's the wow effect? What's the effects of this program? Like, isn't it because X Y C other reason that we're seeing an increase in sales? Like, how can you defend your value, your price tag, when you're not selling something that they're necessarily They were necessarily looking for, right? So that was the flip side. When you're a small startup and you need to educate the market, right? It's a bit challenging.
1: Yeah, I love the the fact that you say break new ground. It's looking for those type of opportunities that yeah, that's interesting. Rather than optimizing something that incrementally and just creating just a better version of something that's already existing. Because I I agree with you. It's you don't. I mean, I wasn't even aware that this type of software was available. (laughs) So (laughs) let's. but it does make the difference. And it's fascinating to see that. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that, that I continue to always, and just a little bit of pointer on what you just said, what I see is there's a lot of fascinating companies out there founded on a brilliant idea or an idea that has a lot of potential and then still don't make it because they do not stand out in the marketplace. So what's your philosophy on that?
0: <laughs> well, happy you asked. So I think today, especially, we see tens and thousands of software-as-a-service companies out there, right? And there are so many brilliant solutions, but you can only buy one at a time, probably, right? And you need to prioritize. So your competitors is not actually your direct competitors, but it's every other SaaS company out there. You're all competing about the same resources to get your software off the ground. So, in my opinion, you know, you need to stand out on an even larger scale. You need to talk emotional. You need to, you know, create to your your point the wow effect. Once you actually hit your most valuable asset, meaning your website, how will you make sure that they remember you? That you stand out? That they, you know, when they see your retargeting campaigns, it's not, there's something to it. I think we have so much to learn from. More traditional, you know, industries and, and like the media industry and how they created brands around like Nike or any other like company like that, really big ones, right? And why aren't we doing the same things for B two B sauce, for instance? It's like True. we should be doing it, and and we
1: will be doing that. We we are doing that. So more emotional. Let me make a small interruption here. Cinder just made an excellent remark about the fact that to win, it takes more than just getting the requirements right. Or having the right price tag just for the project that you're offering your offering is competing with all your customers other priorities and as such you need to stand out on a much larger scale and that's where emotion comes in adding emotion into the mix does magic to moving your offering up the priority list remarkable software companies master this they surprise and hit the right nerve they sell the idea not the product and with that that not only creating something valuable but more importantly something desirable and you can master these traits as well i have two options for you to start first read or listen to my book the remarkable effect and you can find that on amazon.com secondly get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people tech founders and ceos that will help you remove your blind spots explore new paths and sharpen your thinking how just visit valueinspiration.com and see all the videos where many of your peers share their experiences with our tribe and what they've come to value most. Back to the interview. Uh, how does it, I mean, when that, did you start to pick up on, on that combination of good product plus emotion equals momentum?
0: I have to admit, I'm actually, you know, born and raised in Norway and Europe, and we are not the best at selling so it's kind of weird that this company comes and originates from norway but yeah this concept i have to admit it's not from norway it's it's from new york where i live now so i moved to new york a couple of years back and and when starting to kind of hire really like a players into the team that's worked for several years and other very wildly successful sauce companies they also had some connections and some ideas and so, and one of the firms that we decided to kind of partner with was this uh, up-and-coming PR brand agency. And they had like tens and decades of, of experience from working with like brand concepts and photographs and whatnot. And it's really this company that really opened my eyes to this uh, component yeah. like, of yeah. selling. You
1: know? It's absolutely fascinating. What emotion does mm. when you bring it into the mix. And emotion doesn't mean that you have to start crying, but it's hitting people well, it's hitting the right nerve. Um, yeah, can you give you an example a, of that? Like, mm,
0: like with us, would you say that like the sales game, do you like the sales game? Is it like, you know, you like to get to work and do the phone calls and that excitement and hold the nose? Well, you know, okay, I'll buy that. But there's a difference between liking the game and loving the game. If you love the game, that's really where you'll see the wildly successful salespeople, those who are obsessed by this. You know, they go out there. They don't take no for an answer. They go get the no and they come back swinging. You know, it's just, you can throw like tens and thousands of, of steak knives through the chasm of like, like and love. It's such a difference. And if you can make them love the game, like just feel that that's sentence, that's what sales screen is all about
1: yeah it does something with you and it's a simple it's almost like two characters that <laughs> are different here and it does it makes the trick and one is like okay medi- well almost mediocre average and the other one just nails it and you will likely have customers that or organizations that say it's too much then it's not for them you know it's also an easy way of qualifying out and you find the right customers that become your ambassadors and that's where the real thing happens the momentum. So interesting. So on your journey as an entrepreneur and you said you started the company f- from school, which is an interesting thing in itself. What has been the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome and, and how did how did that go about?
0: Yeah, there's been a couple on this <laughs> 10-year journey I guess, but for me it was, you know, being young and inexperienced and not having too much money in my name. I kind of had to bootstrap the company and with limited funds and always having to kind of balance doing consultancy work to get money in yeah. and doing work on our own product, the fact that we had to do more and more marketing really to educate the market, you know, that there was a constant need for money. And it wasn't until like 2018, we actually decided to go out and raise capital. And we, we already passed $3 million in recurring revenue at that point. We knew we had product market fit. And then it made sense, but it wasn't necessarily easy to get to that level. It was kind of like, I would say it's it's always, and maybe it's a boring answer, but it's just cash.
1: You always want more. You always need more. (laughs) It was just doing what you
0: could with little cash, I guess. That was the most challenging part.
1: So if you look at that that process again, and what what has been, have you had regrets around how you approach things, or what would you do different next time?
0: I would go much faster. I would definitely do as much as I could with my own funds and make sure that I had like an initial product market fit, but then I would definitely push on, on the throttle and, and raise outside capital and just do the things that I now see as, you know, necessary and hire the right people with a lot of relevant experience who can make such a big difference, you know. So there are different challenges at different stages of a company's lifespan. For us right now, where we're in that scale up phase is My biggest challenge right now is actually just finding good enough people. Like hiring A players is hard. Finding A players is super hard. So, you know, anything you can do to attract top talent and hire
1: them, you know, that's definitely worthwhile. True. Exactly. But I hear that regret around faster, earlier, so often. (laughs) And it's something in us that, that sort of that risk averseness or trying to kind of make the this, this, this steps because it will come where you sometimes just have to go bold and yeah, yeah and just do it. But yeah, I understand it also. It's If you bootstrap, you're just so, more, so much more careful about how you spend your money, which is also the other way around. If you get the, the funding and sometimes you sp- start spending it not so wisely, which is, there's a balance there.
0: It's hard because I couldn't have done, if I could go back and do things differently, I would, and I would go faster because I have the experience and knowledge of of how to run things and how to scale and how to build it. I didn't have it at the time. So I'm not directly like against what I did. It it took more time to get there, but, you know, did it with less risk. And and I learned a ton every step of the way and it's been rewarding and challenging, but If I had to go go back with knowing what I do now, of course, I would go much, much faster.
1: (laughs) Yeah. One of the questions that I got here on my list is, what have you been least prepared for in this transformation? But that's maybe also connected to to the other question, like, what is your regret? But turn it around. What do you really need to be prepared for? There's a big difference between being a bootstrap company
0: and being like a funded company. What you see is that you need different types of people at different stages yes. of the company. And I think that's really like the number one challenge for any like new founder or entrepreneur. It's realizing that the, the best people that you can find at an early stage is also the same people you might have to let go at a later stage to make room for new people. It's yeah. more specialized instead of being generalist, for instance. And that That process is, of course, really demanding and hard because you built emotional connections to the team, but it is necessary.
1: Yeah. And that's, uh, and recognize that at the right spot is also necessary. Exactly. That's also a story that I hear quite a number of times, but yeah, sometimes you have to do that. It belongs to the business and it's uh, at the end of the best for it. So what are you most proud of achieving so far? Is there any anecdotes? I mean, I, I, of course, realize that you've just made the anecdote around what the salesperson did in the, in the room around the eye of the tiger. But like, yeah, what is what is an impact that you say, hey, this is this is what, I, what did we do it for? So for me, like, when I actually
0: first started the company, there was something like extreme, in my opinion, the idea of building a company where, you know, employees get their paycheck. And Having uh, over 100 people that rely on what I originally founded is, is, you know, it's just such a crazy thought. I think for me, that's still like really big, just a ripple effect, if that explains it. Like yeah, sure, sure. this idea is now actually, you know, the livelihood. So, so many people, so many people depend on it. It's just really humbling.
1: Yeah, that's the word. That's the right word. I was thinking about it and you mentioned it. It's, it may well, that makes you super proud, of course, that you can be, that you have something that, that keeps these people, that, well, that helps them to, to achieve their ambitions and aspirations and get the joy in what they want to do every day. As an entrepreneur, as a tech entrepreneur, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect. And in the book, I uh, highlight the 10 traits of the defined remarkable software businesses. So if you would. Highlight one or two things that you say, hey, this is absolutely required for creating a software company that people talk about and keep talking about. What would it be?
0: (laughs) Wow, that's a tough question, I guess. But you definitely need to have a strong, solid foundation like in, in your product, right? It needs to be a good, solid product, which solves a real problem and then have a real material impact on your customers. It needs to have value. So that's like, that's definitely number one, you just need to have that part. But the second one is that you need to make sure that your users and you know, users is such a bad word, perhaps, you know, but anyways, your clients love your product, and not just enjoy it, or they feel like it's okay, because it solves a problem, but they actually enjoy using it, because that's when you turn them into advocates for your own business. And you, you just start to jungle telegraph and now, I guess we call that, you know, uh, product vir- vir- virality or something like that. I don't know. There's always a new brand, uh, cool cool buzzword around it, but it's just very simple thing. You need to have people love your product and they will talk about it and that's going to make a huge impact. So. But it needs to be yeah. something tangible. It needs to be value. It needs to be
1: solid. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean it doesn't have to be of course that the whole product is like super, super exciting, but at the end it's I mean, I talk about the magic moments where it matters that people will will remember, and I think you you use that word before as well, yeah, that they react to it, talk about it, that they remember it. Do you have a framework to test or to to challenge your team that what's being delivered, possibly every every sprint, creates something that people love? Yeah, there's a software for that.
0: <laughs> Good. Uh, so, yeah, we actually have bought licenses on something called user testing. I think that's the name. And they have this amazing software where you can basically have people come in and record their experience testing out your wireframes. And um, you can decide what which type of people you want. So for us, you know, we want to have sales managers, sales directors, and so forth. So we can get a perspective of a typical administrator. And then you can ha- also have a different set of wireframes for, for the normal sales rep. We can see the reaction on the camera, on their voice, everything, like how they react to thing and what they think when they see it. And when you do that enough times, like our UX designer, you start to pick up patterns and you see which ones are, are they triggering on, like emotionally or really light. Or you can see their eyes open a bit wider. You know and those are uh, are the things that you probably should run with, so it's, uh, it's kind of like I don't know a b testing at scale with actual humans that's my suggestion nice
1: nice nice product called user tester
0: yeah, yeah exactly. that's the name user you know,
1: something like that good nice i'm gonna I'm gonna spread the news on them because <laughs> that's always good. we need more of those products you know because yeah, based products right exactly. there's something. To yeah. it. Why should something that is technical, process-driven, be yeah not fun to use? I mean, I think that's the that to CRM, for example. Everybody hates it. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's so strange. It's a goldmine for us, but you know, it's just you need to have your data somewhere, and they've they've become the de facto platform that that data silo, data hub, and there's a ton of uh, add-ons that actually can make that valuable, but. It's not going to change the fact that people hate it. And there's so many companies trying to automate the capturing of activities and entering that automatically. But there is going to be a level of human oversight and human input at some point. So you need to incentivize that. You need to make that fun and rewarding. And that's where we come into play. So happy to kind of share how we create adoption of new sales methodologies and actually make that process of inputting data into something more, which is fun and rewarding.
1: Well, that is, you hit a very valid point, and I've heard it before from a number of other people in this in, in this space. Because you need to change behavior, and incentivizing people is where it starts. First of, for example, I heard a story at some point in time that that was highlighting the gaps in the data in the in the CRM in order to come up with the right results. For example, if you want to guide people and coach people on what leads to focus on right now and which funds to not focus on. You can only do that if the data is super, super clean and super rich. And it starts with people just putting doing the work in order to get it done. And if you incentivize that, that, is, that will help to close that gap and then everybody gets happy from it. So do you have any analogy how, for example, your, your technology helps to, for example, make users of Salesforce Get much more value from, from CRM.
0: Yeah, sure. So let's say you have a Salesforce instance, and then you're implementing a new sales methodology, for instance, Metric, and you want the reps to check a box on the opportunity, for instance, whenever they've asked for something or done something. You know, you can implement that checkbox pretty easily, and it's you know it's easy enough to do. Then you need you have to train them. <laughs> You maybe need to make sure that they actually figure this out. So maybe you have a certification process. And that in the end, you know, still people are not checking that box when they should. Come and behold, like sales screen. What we do is actually to track that as a key activity. So once they do that, they will have their own celebration video going off. They will build out leaderboards so they can see who's done that the most in the course of a month and who's not done a single one. Like a tiny bit of shaming works as well, you know, and you can have incentives as you talked about, like you could give them some virtual currency when they, for every 10 times they they check that box on a new opportunity, they get some coins that they can save them up and exchange them for gifts or gift cards, whatever, you know, these concepts, the human concept of being seen, being recognized for your effort, in this case, checking the box, you know, triggering their competitive spirit. Have you checked the box the most this month? Are you better than than the, the middle performer? Like, are you in top half, bottom half? Like, just answer the basic questions, and you'll see adoption of that box skyrocket. It's just exactly. it's visibility, it's accountability, it's incentivizing, it's celebrating them. It's just realizing that we are all people, and we 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 need this virtual tap on the back to be motivated in our daily work
1: yeah it's such an open door, and it it works so well and the The business results of that are phenomenal at the end yeah if you do it for the right things then it's yeah that's yeah. right just think about the basics
0: like every deal that you close starts somewhere, you have a funnel, maybe that top of funnel activity is making i don't know cold calls or prospecting or getting a an opportunity like Focus on, on the core activities, the sales work that needs to be done on a recurring basis. And sure, you need to have you know, an awesome process to make sure those calls are impactful. And it's just not only a volume game. That's where the coaching aspect comes into play. Make them improve, increase their skill. But in an ideal world where you have the reps at the highest skill level, it all comes down to volume again. So we're always going to come back to volume and top of funnel sales work and sales activities. And then, you know, you need to incentivize them and make sure that they do the most of it. Like make sure that they do two more phone calls today than they, they last day or, you know, do those cold emails or whatever it is that they have to do. In the end, that's going to make results happen.
1: It is, yeah. It's the small steps that lead to the big results as it is with everything. And it's not less with sales. So as an entrepreneur, from all the lessons that you've learned and the the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over time, if you would have to give a do and possibly also a don't to aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that really want to kind of up their game, any wise advice? Yeah, do
0: invest in people who have experience, relevant experience, done it before someone who can help you come to the next stage. Don't skimp on that investment. I know it's going to be, it's gonna hurt. It's going to be a lot of equity. It's going to be a lot of money. But if you get people who have done it before and have experience in the same line of industry that you, oh man, you're going to save so much time. It's going to go so much faster and you're going to sure. be so happy if you invested that money. Don't (laughs) skimp on on calm. Like if you find a person that is amazing,
1: just go for it. And it's going to pay itself back big time. Yeah. Funny that that there's so many of these discussions end up with, it's the people game. It's about the people and it's not about the technology. And we're all in technology space at the end. So it's, (laughs) it is funny.
0: I don't know. It's so true. I can't ignore it. It's like, it's the making or breaking of a company.
1: So what's next for SalesScreen? What is your, your biggest aspiration to be? Uh, where do you want to be in 12 months or 18 months' time? So for us
0: right now, it's a scale-up game. Our niche is growing and it's, it's attracting more players. It's accelerated by the pandemic. People are working from home. They're yeah. struggling, you know, staying motivated and feeling a part of the team. So we have had some record quarters. Like We're growing very fast now. And for us, it's, it's just capturing this demand and riding that wave up and trying to become the de facto, the leader of our niece, you know, yeah. and, and that's easier said than done. But I think for us, what we need to do is, is of course, just focus on, on the territories where we are not as big. For us, we're big in NMEA because we, we started out in EMEA. We're growing super fast in North America. We still have a lot of potential in APAC, So I'm going to invest heavily in North America and then secondarily in, in APAC to make sure that we are a true global you know, leader in our space.
1: Fascinating journey. I see. Uh, it reminds me of a number of things I've been doing in my life and seeing the same type of yeah, expansion journey as well. So if anyone listening to this podcast could help you, what would be your big ask?
0: Yeah, so my big ask right now is it's not going to be on introduction to new firms or, you know, raising capital, which might have been my big ask some years ago. My big ask right now is that you have a passion for what we're doing, or if you know someone who you think could be an excellent match for our journey ahead you know, please, please, please send them our way. We have 15 open positions and there's constantly being open new ones. And we need the best people to make this into a category leader. So if you can direct anyone in your network that's looking for a job or you think just would be a perfect match, please do.
1: I will make sure that gets out loud and clear. So where can people go to find out more about sales screen or to say hi to you?
0: Well, first and foremost, our website, of course. And on our website, we also have a career page. And that career page, there's more about the actual company. If they want to reach out and actually grab a cup of coffee or anything, like more than happy to do so at the socially distanced, you know, whatever regime. I live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, just outside of New York City, Manhattan. So happy to kind of meet up in person or do a virtual on Zoom if, uh, if, if there's anything I can do to kind of help or motivate any other fellow entrepreneurs of course fantastic
1: well thank you very much sindra for this fascinating call i would say i mean i loved it i love the energy i love your vision i love how you go about it i use the word love a lot of times I Love it. <laughs> and yeah you infected me with that and yeah i wish you all the luck on your on the next steps in the journey and scaling the company to what you aspire to be thank you so much San. it's been
0: a pleasure to be here
1: thank you and this ends my conversation with Sindre. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning in to this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Sindra Haaland, founder and CEO of Salescreen. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what
0: ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The
1: moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come through. The post-Cold War era is over.
0: Dotcom The Hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dotcom, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.